Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Welcome to the middle of the week edition. If you have not found your winter coats, if they're in a closet that you've not opened the door of in a while, if they're stuffed in a box in the attic, probably want to get those out because you're going to need them tomorrow. It's going to be cold for Halloween at least in North Mississippi. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be in uh, Central Mississippi. But, Borky, the last time I looked at the forecast today, the high temperature tomorrow in Oxford is 44. Wow. Uh, That's significant. That's cold. It's going to get down to 30 tomorrow night. What would you rather have? Let's call it 50 or 110. You know what I've discovered about myself is I really like the seasons. I don't mind 110 for a little while, but after a couple of months of it, I say 110. I mean, really what we're talking about is 97 in Mississippi. I can handle that for a couple of months, but then I'm ready for it to cool off a little bit, and I enjoy fall for a little while, and then I don't mind it getting cold for a little while. But after it's cold for a little while and baseball starts to roll around, yeah, I'm ready for it to uh, warm up again. That's a reasonable take, isn't it, Rippy? Yeah, I don't think there's ever a scenario where I enjoy 97. Yeah. You're okay with good and cold, though? It's better than hot. I feel like I've evolved on that. I I think if you told me you had to pick one or the other, I'd probably go with hot over the the long term. But, yeah, I don't know. High of 44 with rain on uh, Halloween, that's, uh, that's pretty cold. Pretty cold indeed. Glad to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Appreciate uh, you being involved yesterday. Pretty active on the Ceasefire text line. Somebody just sent us a message that said that's 30 degrees cooler than it is right now. Sent us a, uh, a dash pick. Listening on Super Talk Mississippi, 100.9 FM, 75 degrees currently. That's a 30 Degree drop in 24 hours. It's good for the uh, allergies, right? I mean, they they say that allergies aren't necessarily weather-based, but I don't believe it. Oh, who says that? Because those people are wrong. I mean, I guess medical professionals. They're wrong, man. Anytime, it's twice a year, every single year, when you have the obvious transition from spring to summer... And then back from summer to fall, even though this year we didn't really have it. Allergies, whatever, everything flares up. Twice a year, yeah. every single year it happens no, to I'm me with you. always. 
But but there's a well actually in all of that, and and like the people that go, it's not actually temperature based. It's not so much that it's temperature based; it's what's hap- what happens based on the temperature changing. If that makes sense. Yeah. So when it warms up in the spring, everything goes into bloom, and you get pollen in the air, and there's dust and all kinds of stuff, and that sends people's allergies into a tizzy. And then when you get all the leaves falling and the air is dry and whatever, sometimes that does it as well. Anyway. Jim Cantori for the day. Jeff says right now it's 80 degrees in Laurel. The 75 degrees was in Columbus, Mississippi. So, yeah, pretty significant drop coming all over the state. Hey, Dad, you got your coat ready for tomorrow? I do. I do. Is it going to mess up your Halloween costume? Uh, No, it will not. Gotcha. It will not. What is it? I was looking at uh, it. You know what? I'm going to keep that under wraps because we'll see what happens. Uh, it'll, It'll get tweeted out. Don't worry. Do so you recognize um, oh, Halloween? It's not like a religious holiday or anything. Yes, I recognize it. Well, I mean, you didn't do anything on the fourth. I did. I did something on the fourth. We no, you didn't. You fire- stayed inside and you watched movies all day with all your windows and blinds pulled. Ah, that's something. I. Uh, okay. So you are going to dress up as something for Halloween? Yes. Why will you not share with us what it is? You'll see it tomorrow. Teaser, spoiler. How long have you been in the business? A while. All right then. What are you doing? How am I going to see it tomorrow? Isn't tomorrow? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, tomorrow's Halloween. It is. Yes, it is. He says he's going to so, tweet it. Probably. Uh, somebody somebody asked if I was going as you, and I said no. I don't own a pocket square. Going as me? Yeah. Uh Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't have enough uh, couture in my closet to pull that one off. Uh, your question: What am I dressing up as? I'm not. I don't really do Halloween. Yeah, well, not my thing. I got and you. I think, I think the reason is I had very, I had average to below average to not very good costumes as a kid. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. there was one or two decent ones along the way, but I think you either like fully invest in Halloween as a uh, as a child. And it carries on with you, or you don't at all. Yeah, that makes sense. And I was on the don't at all side of it. Not a shot at my mom. I mean, she, you know, she. I mean, we always went trick or treating, and I always had a costume. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I remember it. But uh, yes. Halloween's never really been my thing. Kid, kids are excited though. I got Obi going as a ninja, Ava Montgomery going as a. I'm not sure what it is. Gypsy, I think. And uh, Francis is uh, like this sparkly unicorn. We tried to get her a new costume. She wanted to wear the one that she had from some other time. So there we go. Princess Unicorn, I think, is what we're calling it, which is there you go. whatever. Uh, Major League Baseball World Series Game 6 last night resulted in the two greatest words in all of professional sports. Game 7. I don't know if there's the two best words in all professional sports or not. But Game 7s are fun. All of it on the line. The road team has won every single game in the World Series. If you saw any of the coverage last night post-game, you have heard this already. Never before in major professional sports in the United States, NBA, hockey, or Major League Baseball, have you had six consecutive games go to the road team. But that's what we've gotten so far this year. 
How do you grade the World Series so far this year? What grade do you give it? Rippy? On what scale? Uh, we're not doing standards-based grading here. We'll go A, B, C, D, F. B, because it was really good quality, but not very much drama. I would agree with that. I'd go so B minus. I would go B plus to A minus if it had had a bit more late-inning drama, but the quality of play and the quality of pitching and like the intrigue, at least in my opinion, aside from late-inning stuff, has been pretty good. Yeah, I, I would go B minus, but for the same reason. You know, you, you've had the intrigue of the road team winning, but you've not had walk-off hits in the bottom of the ninth. You know, some closer who comes in and with one arm tied behind his back throws three shutout innings going a career high and, you know, throwing enough pitches to make people's heads fall off because of arm fatigue and whatnot. You've not had any of that. No, but there has been each team has had a moment or two where you thought they were dead and then they weren't. That is true. Absolutely true. So the buildup has been gradual. My guess, Borky, don't you think the numbers, the ratings will be pretty good tonight? I mean, it's going up against nothing other than some NBA action. Yeah, and uh, last night was the first of the World Series game that cracked the top 25 in the fall. Okay. Uh, so the first five games had not reached that number. So last night was good. Six and sevens are always good. But, yeah, I would expect a big one tonight. And I don't think there's any marquee NBA games either. I know the Lakers played last night unless they're in a back-to-back um, they'll be off tonight. The Clippers are sitting both Kawhi and Paul George, so they're not bringing any eyeballs tonight. So they're kind of a standalone event tonight. So uh, hopefully the number will be much bigger than it has been. Rockets at Wizards, Clippers at Jazz, which should be good. Those teams are both 3-1. and one. That game's on ESPN, but it doesn't tip till 9. And to your point, the Clippers sitting, guys. Uh, yes, that's the early game on ESPN. So that's good, but I don't know that that's necessarily really affecting your World Series audience. I mean, a little bit, but not a lot. Nah, not really. I mean, it's the NBA in October. I don't think it would affect it a ton anyway. Yeah. Seventh to uh, two, the final last night, you had a bunch of weird stuff that happened in the game, and the weirdest of it all happened in the seventh inning. There was a little bit of buildup, though, as uh, Bregman hits a, uh, a solo shot to put... Houston up two to nothing in the first inning, and he doesn't drop his bat. That made it two to one. That's right. They went Nats went up early. That's right. It was one to nothing, so that was their second run. Put Houston on top in the bottom of the first inning. No bat flip, no immediately dropping the bat. He went the carried the bat all the way to first base and then try and hand it off to the first base coach. And that drew out some people that didn't like it. But Juan Soto with a great troll job. Hits a jack later in the ball game, and has the wherewithal to do the exact same thing. Decides to carry his bat all the way to first. Only twenty-one, you know. Maybe I just live under a rock, but like, who are the people that don't like this type of stuff? We'll talk about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. You've got two days left. To celebrate National Pork Month. That's right, October is National Pork Month. Celebrate with smoked ribs, savory pot roast, slow-cooked pork shoulder with a little spicy cranberry glaze on it. That's right, enjoy the tastiest month ever and find inspiring recipes at pork.org slash cooking. 
Uh, I also, had some pork belly burnt ends while I was in uh, Texas. Really? Yeah. I made some, probably not near as good as the the ones that you had, but that is the best barbecue. It was unbelievable. It tastes like it's from another planet. I never had anything taste like that. So we're going fancy bacon burnt ends, right? Basically, Basically yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. But they cook them yeah. with like brown sugar and butter. and I mean, it's a heart they attack cook, on a plate. They cook but... them. Do, you, do you like sesame chicken? Like when you go to the Chinese restaurant, you like sesame ch- chicken? Nah, sure. I mean, I'm more okay. of a general so a general so's guy, but okay. Well, something like that. They had a marinade like that on there. It was like a sticky, sweet Asian flavored glaze. Oh my god, hmm? so good. Would you do that to your bacon? Yeah, why not? It was good. Yeah, just not sure I want anybody to really mess with my bacon. Yeah, trust saying. people sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, you get like a molasses glaze on bacon too, and you're you know in the Woohoo! Range. Is, is there like a database for these month things? Because I feel like I could just tell anyone that a certain thing is during a certain month. Well, oh. and I, I think if I told enough people that it would become a thing. Well, the Mississippi pork producers told us that October was National Pork Month. Okay, so I'm going with that. They would there may be a National Poultry Month. Gotcha. We'll have to ask the uh, Mississippi poultry producers about that. November is Brian Dash Rippy Venmo Month, so if you want to recognize and participate in that. Go ahead. I'm going to get the word out. Do you need to spell that out? No. Uh, You can catch up with statewide leaders and elected officials at this year's MEC Hobnob. Gallo Show will be there tomorrow morning, 6 to 9, on Super Talk Mississippi at the Mississippi Coliseum. To register, go to msmec.com. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this game last night and some of what unfolded. And I guess what everybody is going to is the seventh inning, runner on first, nobody out, basically a, a swinging bunt, a squibber down the third baseline. Pitcher comes off the mound, fields it, makes an errant throw to first base. It's a throw that is kind of down the first baseline toward home plate, and Trey Turner's running, and he's fast, and he beats it out, and then all kinds of confusion ensues because the home plate umpire calls him out on the play. And everybody's assumption was that he was called out for running out of the baseline. And there's kind of a weird baseline rule about where you can run and where you can't run, and you got to be halfway down the line and be in that kind of alley that is chalked off in the dirt but is actually in foul territory, even though the bag's in fair territory. And for your final stride, you're actually uh, the the bag belongs to you, so you can lunge, and it doesn't really matter where you are. That's what everybody was trying to uh, kind of negotiate their way through. Joe Torre, former Yankees manager, big muckety muck with Major League Baseball overseas umpires and on field competition, says after the game that that's not what the issue was. He was called out for interference. Interference is a judgment call, and therefore it is not reviewable. First of all, it was a bad call. By Now, in fairness, based on the interpretation of the rule, it was the correct call. I don't even think that's necessarily true. 
if you're going to an interference deal? The ball hit him on the right leg on the foul side of the bag. What did he interfere with? He knocked the first baseman's glove off. No, the first baseman's glove went into the base path. I understand that. But, I mean, that's what they called. No, I'm not just say, I'm not saying that's not what they called. I don't even think that's the right call by the letter of the rule. Okay. I, I don't really disagree with you on that front. But I felt like even after the game, when everybody was arguing, okay, the rule actually, as it is written, was enforced in the proper way, but I thought what everybody was arguing was whether or not he was in the baseline or not, and then we find out after the fact that that's not even what the call was about. The call was about interference. Well, the broadcast didn't help much with that. I don't necessarily blame them either because that's a tough one to get. And they were lost because they weren't getting the information. Because it was a judgment call, it is not a reviewable play, Joe Torrey said after the game that prior to Game 1, they met with both managers, and because it is the World Series, said if you have a rules interpretation question, you may ask for clarification from the umpires, which ultimately is the reason that they went to the headset, spent four and a half minutes talking to New York, and then came back. The umpire should not have signaled out is one of the things that we've gotten out of out of that because it wasn't a, a replay scenario. And by signaling out after taking off the headphones, you're making people think that you had a replay situation, which you did not. David Martinez was mad about the whole thing. And he clarified in his post-game press conference, he said, look, I know the rules. I know it was a judgment call, and therefore it is not reviewable, but I wanted him to review it anyway. I wanted him to get on the headset and have somebody talk some sense into him for a terrible call. It was a really bad call, and now everybody today is saying, well, the point is moot because two batters later, after a 10-minute delay, Rendon hits a two-run jack and extends the lead to 5-2, to two, but you, you can't say that because you would have had second and third with nobody out, and potentially, if it all plays out that way, it could have been a three-run inning. If the Nationals had ultimately lost that game by one, Boy, we'd have a mess on our hands today. But they won, and so everybody's like, well, it didn't really matter anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like drunk driving, right? Where, well, hey, I didn't hit anybody, so it's okay, right? No, it's still something you shouldn't do. What was the getting tossed point? Getting tossed after it becomes sort of mood is also a power move. In the World Series? Good move, bad move. I thought it was hilarious. I don't even know if you could judge it as good as bad, but I I imagine in the back of his mind, uh, you know, he had Strasburg pitching the way he was. I'm sure he looked at his bench coach and was like, hey, let him pitch until he gets a base runner on in the ninth inning. I'm about to hit the showers and grab a beer because my heart can't take this anymore and then just got his ear, got his money's worth and left. He absolutely got his money's That's worth. That's what I would have done. I mean, it was like a, it was almost like a UFC cage fight with his bench coach trying to get to the umpires and them keeping him away. That was not a hold-me-back bro move. He was ready to rip somebody's head off. Yeah. And then, like, after... I mean, the game wasn't completely, like, over after that. It was that. only 5-2 to two at that point. Right. But with the way Strasburg was pitching, you figured he'd at least get 7 and probably some change out of him, like... I, I thought it was kind of funny. I'm fascinated by I the post-game drinks, but I imagine that he had had a beer before Strasburg threw his next pitch in the next You think game. so? Yeah. If he does. Um, I was fascinated by the postgame conversation with Steven Strasburg where the first thing he talked about was the fact that he was tipping his pitches in the first inning, that it was clear that Washington picked up on those, gave up a couple of runs in the first, 
made an adjustment where he butterfly fluttered his glove so as to do a better job hiding the pitch that was coming and was basically untouchable the rest of the way. That was interesting because the Astros have become the kings of basically stealing signs, the pitch tipping they had that with, I believe, Charlie Morton in the DS. I don't have a problem with any of it, but it's kind of crazy how on top of it they are because their first, like, I mean, I'm not a gigantic exit velocity guy, but, like, their first, like, five pieces of contact were at 100-plus. They scored two runs, and then he looks like a completely different player for the next, or pitcher for the next seven and, or, yeah, I guess about seven and... So you're saying Major League hitters have an advantage when they know what's coming? Yeah, absolutely. But even a pitcher like, you gotta be pretty good even if you know it's coming to hit a pitcher like that. But just the, them being able to pick that up as effectively as they have and as consistently they have is impressive. And then being able to change that mid-game without getting rattled is also fairly impressive in its own right. After the game was over, Alex Bregman very stoically apologized, said that his emotions got the best of him. He carried his bat down to first base, kind of flipped it to his first base coach. That kind of felt like much ado about nothing. I didn't have a problem with Bregman doing it, and I certainly didn't have a problem with Juan Soto when he toted his lumber all the way down to first base. I thought that was kind of the ultimate gamesmanship. Yeah, again, this is where I ask, who who had a problem with this? Well, I mean, obviously enough people did. It looked like Altuve didn't like it because he talked to Bregman during the game, and the assumption was that that's what that conversation was about. Frank Thomas didn't like it in the post game. Not mad at him, but they were all uh, big poppy, who was kind of the ultimate showman. Didn't like it in the post game show. A Rod didn't like it. I mean, A Rod, uh, you know, yelling at guys trying to catch a pop fly on the infield. Why is that the line you draw? Him? So that doesn't make any sense. Like he's not trying to show up the pitcher. He got excited and held onto his bat and then handed the first base coach. Who cares? It's not nearly as entertaining as a uh, mondo bat flip either. No, which is probably even more obnoxious than just holding on the bat too long. Yeah, I tend to agree. You okay, Borky, with them carrying their bats to first? Need to do it more often. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. If you're in Houston, Texas, and you happen to be listening right now, you don't necessarily have to break the bank to go to Game 7 of the World Series tonight. Average cost of tickets sold in recent Game 7s across multiple sports. We'll give you those coming up in uh, just a few minutes. But right now, we will go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Trey Shap from 103.7. The Buzz in Little Rock covers the Arkansas Razorbacks. Been doing that for a while. What's up, buddy? What's up, Richard? How are you? Happy Wednesday afternoon to you. Um... What's going on with football in Fayetteville? Seems like there's a lot to talk about right now, and not a whole lot of it's positive. Well, I think you're exactly right. Obviously, there's not a lot of positive uh, talk coming out of Fayetteville, but uh, they're in a, a slow rebuild, I guess, if you will. It's taken Chad Morris probably longer than he expected. And uh, I was uh, in Birmingham last uh, Friday getting ready for our coverage on Saturday of Arkansas and Alabama. And I was speaking to one of the staff members, Richard, and he told me that in January, uh, after Coach Morris was hired, he went up to Coach Morris after one of the practices very early on when they just practiced in shorts and T-shirts, and he said, Coach, I've been in the SEC a long time, and we don't have any SEC players on this team. And he said, well, let's give it a couple days. Let's wait till we get in the pad, uh, and let's see what we have once they get into 
you know, spring practice and everything. They got in the pads. They were two days in the pads. He walked up to Chad again. He said, Coach, I've been in the SEC a long time. Those pads didn't help those players look any better. Hmm. So I think that's kind of where the, the state of the program is, Richard. They just they don't have the talent right now. Trey, we were talking yesterday, and uh, and Rippy brought up a, a point that I think is relevant. And Arkansas is not the only school that's dealing with this. You got to have hope to sell, right? I mean, to to sell tickets, to get people invested, to have them giving money, to to be excited about. There's got to be hope going forward. How do you sell? Assuming Arkansas doesn't get a win in the league, and I know we got games left this year, but if it gets to zero and sixteen, how do you sell that to fans? I don't know uh, that you really can sell that to fans. At least smart and competent fans. Now, maybe there are some others that you might be able to sell it to, but maybe <laughs> an Eskimo, if you can sell him ice, you might be able to sell that uh, to him. But the fact is that it's not a good product right now. Now. What Chad Morris has been dealt with is a roster that was depleted, that was not recruited correctly by the previous staff. Now, he's tried to come in and, and replace that and help that out. Last year, he had a great recruiting class, his first full year here. This year, he's kind of backed that up a little bit, although there have been some decommits, not as many as some of the other top programs in the country that you might think. Four decommits. Uh, last that I checked, there were some that have have had eight D commits. So, um, but it's the 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 type of player that is decommitting that is causing concern from fans. Now, look, there's a lot there's a lot of football left. Four games: Mississippi State this Saturday, Western Kentucky next Saturday, an open date, LSU on the road, and Missouri here in Little Rock today after Thanksgiving. If you win three of those games, that's five wins. You could say, okay. He's on the right path, and maybe recruits jump back on board. Fan base definitely does jump back on board, in my mind. But, Richard, I think it goes back to the San Jose State game when Nick Starkle threw five interceptions. Losing that game cost a lot of trust in fans of Chad Morris and in uh, the program as a whole as to what direction they're going in. They could have handled the loss to Texas A&M, the loss to Kentucky, even though they were playing a quarterback, I mean a wide receiver at quarterback, although a very good uh, athlete if you will, but they could have handled those losses if they would have beaten San Jose State. They could say, hey, we're basically right on track where we thought we would be. Win your four non-conference games. Try and pick one or two off in conference. If they would have beaten San Jose State, they would still have bowl aspirations right now. They don't. They're not going to beat LSU on the road in three weeks uh, to get to a bowl game. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to win the next four. Chad Morris was Hunter Yurchek's hire. Is there any scenario where Arkansas pulls the plug after this year? Well, technically, he was not a hundred-year check hire. Julie okay. Comer Peoples was the AD, uh, the acting AD or interim AD, if you will. Hundred-year check was hired the day it was announced in his press conference was the day before Chad Morris was. That's not to say that hundred-year check was not involved from the outside before he was in an official capacity with the University of Arkansas. I'm sure he was consulted. Uh, Hunter Juracek knew about Chad Morris from his time when he was at Houston, and Chad was at SMU. If they don't win another game this season and they lose to Western Kentucky and Ty Story is the quarterback of Western Kentucky and he comes back into Fayetteville <laughs> and beats Arkansas, a team where that he quarterbacked last year, 
and a team that the University of Central Arkansas, which is an SCS school, beat in the opening game this season in Bowling Green, then Hunter Yurichek has a tough decision to make and one that I don't think he gets paid enough to make. So the game this Saturday, not like Mississippi State is just clicking on all cylinders right now. They've lost four in a row. And uh, as we've talked about it this week, Haydad says he's not confident at all. He thinks that he would be more confident in the, if the game were in Starkville. It's not in Starkville. Mississippi State is, I don't know, traditionally maybe not played great in the state of Arkansas. Is there a reason for hope this weekend for Arkansas fans, for this Arkansas football team? I think there is, and I, I, and I say that because there's hope in the fact that K.J. Jefferson has not touched the field yet. And he's a four-star quarterback from the state of Mississippi. Uh, there are some players, Amante Spivey at running back position, that have not touched the field yet that you can play in these four games and preserve their red shirt. So, yeah, there's some hope with this Razorback football fan base that, hey, maybe they can win this weekend. They're only a seven-point underdog at home. You look at that, okay, well, home should be worth three points, so technically ten. Uh, but the fact that they're only a seven-point underdog to Mississippi State, I think, does give the fans some hope. There's not a chance that they're going to just roll with K.J. Jefferson for the remainder of the year, is there? Um, if they put him out there Saturday and he leads them to a victory, I think you could see him starting the rest of the season. Do you anticipate if, that he starts on Saturday, or you think he just no, plays at some point? No, no, I don't think he starts. I think he plays at some point, but let's say – Arkansas's down by two touchdowns in the third quarter, and you put KJ Jefferson in, and then next thing you know, five plays are in the end zone. Touchdowns, the seven point game. The defense gets a stop. He comes back in that next series. Three plays later, they're in the end zone. It's a tie game. We're in the fourth quarter now. I'm just playing hypothetical here. Matt, yeah, no, I understand. Just hypothetical, Richard. I mean, you know, Matt Wyatt, your old your old buddy on, on the on the broadcast. Uh, the color analyst for state would probably be going nuts if this played out this way. But then, what if KJ gets the ball again and Arkansas's got a chance to win? They go down the field and they score and they win the game. How do you not play him? And Arkansas's had chances. They had a chance against Kentucky. They had the ball late in the game to win. They had a chance against A&M late in the game. Ben Hicks comes in for Nick Starkle. They had a chance to beat Texas A&M. So I think that's where the fan base is kind of questioning you know, what's going on, the loss to San Jose State, but then the fact that you had a chance to beat A&M and didn't. You had a chance to beat Kentucky and didn't. But we all know what's going to happen with Auburn and Alabama when you play them. And you're yeah. as talent-depleted as Arkansas is right now. Hey, quick thought on basketball. Um, new coach, Coach Musselman coming yeah. in. Is there excitement surrounding Arkansas basketball more so, and we got about a minute left, than there has been in recent years? Lots of excitement. Uh, he's brought some new things. He's uh, done some new things in practice that I've seen, like towel drills, screen drills. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around Razorback basketball. They just named the quarter after Nolan Richardson um, in an ex- right before an exhibition game with Little Rock, uh, back uh, right after the Auburn football game. So there is a lot of excitement. Uh, new coach and Eric Musselman, excited to see what, what he brings to the table and the fact that he's recruiting hard. And there's a good crop of talent in Arkansas that if he can get these five commits to uh, to sign with Arkansas and get that 2020 class locked and loaded, uh, Razorback fans 
have something to especially be excited about. That'll be fun to watch. Certainly, uh, the the level of play has been elevated all across the SEC. The level of coaching has been uh, elevated all across the SEC, and this this league has turned into a bear in basketball. Yes, it has. It's, uh, it makes for a, a fun post football part of the calendar. Trey, always appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the uh, rest of your afternoon. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks, Richard. Trey Shap from 103.7 The Buzz in Little Rock covers the Razorbacks. Says he believes that there is some hope for Arkansas as they get set to host Mississippi State. That gives a little more context, too, to, to some of what you heard from Chad Morris yesterday. And, and not the whole, did he guarantee a win or not? But after that, when he talked about playing some young guys... I think that's the question that he was ultimately answering was, all right, some of these guys who haven't played that can play in up to four games, you're going to get some guys in. And ultimately, he said, we're going to try and play whoever we can to win. Could it be the debut of K.J. Jefferson, the former North Panola High School quarterback from Sardis, Mississippi? We'll see. He was one that they were really excited about in that recruiting class. Just wonder, though. I mean, if you felt good about where he was, would you not have rolled him out already, given how bad they've been and how inconsistent they've been at quarterback this year? Trey Schaap on the Farm Bureau phone line. If you want to go to Game 7 of the World Series tonight in Houston, you can get in the door for $337. Average ticket price for sale on Vivid Seats, 840 bucks. How does that compare to some recent Game 7s across the sports landscape? Last year, Game 7, Stanley Cup Finals, Blues, Bruins, average cost of a ticket, not the get-in-the-door price, but the average cost, $2,234. Kind of a unique situation there, though, right? Sure. Wait, what do you mean? But it was in Boston. It wasn't in St. Oh, Louis. Oh, that's it? right. I was in Boston. Cubs, Indians, also in Cleveland, Game 7 of the 2016 World Series, $1,863, average price. Cleveland abnormally loyal fans, and those are the two longest World Series droughts ever. 2016 NBA Finals, Cavs, Warriors, in the Bay Area, Game 7, 1562 the average price. Had a friend sneak into Game 4 with a fake media credential. 2017 World Series, Astros-Dodgers in L.A., average price $12.24. You've got to go back to the 2014 Game 7 between the Giants and the Royals in Kansas City to find an average price to get in the door. I'm sorry, an average ticket sale price on the secondary market that is less than tonight. $774 for Game 7 of the 2014 World Series. $802 tonight, the average price to get in the door. (laughs) That's a reasonable price for a Game 7, in my opinion. Uh, Reasonable in that it's, oh, I, I might pay that to do it. It's just way below... What oh, the yeah. average is for Game 7 and other stuff. Why is that, do you think? Well, the story on ESPN says that the market is depressed because the city of Houston is depressed. 
It says the whole city of Houston is depressed over the three losses at home, and it has affected the ticket market. They've got attendance issues with the Rockets, too. Here's the explanation from a guy at uh, StubHub, I think. Game two tickets were $1,200 plus fees. Today's are $600 plus fees. Houston's depressed, and ticket prices reflect that. How is that measurable? And it's game seven. If you if you win the game, none of the other games matter. You're right. That's interesting. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Hey, Dad, we had a uh, text message person um, reflect what you said as well. You They want to see a Serrano on yeah. a home run. I think, you know, I have to wake up bat. Let's go. Take him around the bases. <laughs> Carries it all the way around the sacks with him. Yeah. Hmm. Richard and Wiggins says, You couldn't give me tickets, hotel, and transportation. I'd rather walk around in my woods or backyard and watch on the 70-inch big screen. Well, Richard, on that, you and I disagree. Yeah. You could absolutely give me tickets, transportation, and a hotel for Game 7 of the World Series, and I don't care who's playing in it. Baseball is probably actually the one sport where I would disagree with that. Like football, Super Bowl be cool, but like watching on television is nice. Kind of the same with hoops. If somebody gave you tickets, it didn't cost you a penny to uh, go. I'd, I'd still go. That's a little extreme. But like baseball, I, I think the in-game experience in baseball is as good or it's ever as it's ever been, and maybe sometimes better than other sports. But it's suffering the most on television compared to other sports by far. The contrast is interesting. Yeah. Maybe onto uh, onto something there. Um, where are we going next? Four o'clock hour. Here's what's coming up. Give us a pick. Oh yeah, I got to do that too. I can't go against the Nationals tonight with Scherzer on the mound. Grinky has Nats in seven. That yeah, but you waffled on it yesterday. I stuck with the Nats. I said there'd be a game seven. I think you did. Why would you pick a home team now? Yeah, that's a good point. You just think the law of averages has to at some point work out? Uh, yeah, well... Uh, I mean, I don't really believe in that stuff, but it is really kind of wild how that's worked out. I think, like Rippy, I've been wrong on every World Series prediction we've given so far. So here's your uh, Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge pick of the day. Let's take the Nationals as the underdog with Max Scherzer on the mound tonight against Zach Grinke. I think literally the only one I've been correct about is the Astros winning Game 3 when they get back, when they got back to Washington. Yeah. I think I've missed every other sing- single one. So, well, That's because you pick the Astros basically every time. And then yes, I did. Games 5 and 6 happened on days where we weren't on the radio. <laughs> yep. So your sports book at Timeout Lounge, Pearl River Resort pick of the day, Astros go down. Nats win it in Game 7 in H-Town with Max Scherzer on the mound. Moneyline play, you're taking the underdog. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. The first sign of movement in Ole Miss's search for an AD happened earlier today. Tell you next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. 
football action this week. Southern Miss has an open date. Ole Miss on the road against the Auburn Tigers. Game is on Saturday night, 6 o'clock on ESPN. Mississippi State and Arkansas with a 3 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network on Saturday afternoon in Fayetteville. 3 o'clock, is that right, Hayden? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. thought that was the case. That's there the, the uh, time uh, slot that window. Ole Miss will be in next week against New Mexico State. The hidden game. It really kind of is, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's up against – Ole Miss is up against uh, – our state's up against the cocktail party, and then Ole Miss will be up against LSU, Alabama. So, yeah. That's right. That's right. What, Rippy? That's heavily disappointing. Oh, that you can't watch the Yes. I mean, I'll watch it. Just on your computer instead yeah, of just, on a large television? Yes. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You can find a branch location, grab the phone number, or just stop by and visit them in person at any of their offices. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. So it's been, what, about a month since Glenn Boyce was named chancellor at Ole Miss? Three weeks, a month, something like that. And uh, hard to tell. Hard to keep up with time when you're having fun, right? It is. Signed off by Glenn Boyce, hired by Glenn Boyce. Sponsored by Glenn Boyce. There was an announcement today from Ole Miss that Chancellor Glenn Boyce has launched the search officially for a new vice chancellor for intercollegiate athletics. Some people call that an athletics director. Uh, and they announced that the search was beginning by releasing the names and the people in charge of the search committee. Now, be as jaded as you want to be if you're an Ole Miss fan or you just follow what's going on with Ole Miss. Feel free. I'm not going to tell you how to feel one way or the other. Here's what I will tell you. If this committee is put in place to go out and research and put together a list and recommend a candidate for athletics director, if this committee is allowed to do that job, then my guess is you come out on the backside of this with a really good candidate for AD. Now, if they're not allowed to do their job, if they're behind-the-scenes shenanigans going on, if it's there's a predetermined outcome, whatever, uh, you get what you get. Whatever. But this is a good committee to go out and find an AD. Mike Glenn, the former executive, now retired from FedEx, who chaired the search committee that found Hugh Freeze, along with... Archie Manning, and also chaired the search committee along with Archie Manning that hired Ross Bjork. He's the chairman of the committee. Um, Archie Manning is serving in an advisory role to the committee and to Chancellor Glenn Boyce. He is not technically on the committee. He is serving in an advisory role. sure that'll be a very hands-off role. The search committee consists of these names. David DeLucci former Ole Miss All-American baseball player, 13 years in the big leagues, analyst for the SEC Network, currently lives in Baton Rouge. Peggy Gillum-Granderson, 
one of the two or three greatest women's college basketball players ever at Ole Miss, longtime coach, including a head coach at Texas A&M when it was still in the Big 12, and she lives in Oxford and currently works with Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Ole Miss. Jesse Mitchell, former Ole Miss football player, past president of the M Club and the founding partner of the Mitchell Firm, a law firm in Ridgeland. Really successful. David Morris, former Ole Miss quarterback, backup quarterback to Romero Miller, had a start against Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl. Remember that one, hey, Dad? Remember that very well. What was that, 90... 98. State won that to clinch their spot in Atlanta. If the flea flicker works early in the game, it could have been a different game, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I I was terrified going into that game. I just I had the feeling David Morris was about to write his name in the the list of Egg Bowl legends. Just didn't work out that way. Well, they didn't exactly pound the rock with Deuce McAllister that night either, which is probably a bad coaching decision. Well, they did. He had like forty carries in that game. Did he? Yeah. He should have had sixty. <laughs> it was about twenty two few. Uh, so David Morris, who owns and is the founder of QB Country an athletic training and development company headquartered in Mobile. Ron Rischlack, who is probably one of the four or five smartest people that I know. Really interesting guy. He's law professor at Ole Miss, been there since uh, 1987. He is the faculty athletic representative for Ole Miss to the SEC and is an expert on Russian politics. He's written books about the Pope. Not that that really, I just thought that was interesting. Um, so Ron Rischlack's on the committee. Wesley Walls, former Ole Miss football player, 15 years in the NFL, and a uh, business person and commercial real estate developer in Charlotte. That's a good committee. That's a bunch of bright people who've got a bunch of different experiences and kind of areas of influence that they bring to the table to do this. It's not really the issue in question, though, or the problem. Because you're right, undoubtedly those are very smart people, very qualified people, and honestly a very, very strong committee. But it, the problem is is what Ole Miss has used committees for, which is basically just to smoke screen for the Window dressing. Sh- shady stuff they do on their own and make their own decision. And so I just don't understand how I agree. You said during the break if they're allowed to get do their job and do it the right way, or I guess you just said it on air, too then you'll probably end up with a really good candidate because you mentioned the qualifications and who those people are. And I know slash know of a few of them, and I think you're right. But like, I don't understand. I, I don't know how much evidence you need as far as Ole Miss forming committees to know what these things are actually for, particularly when the chancellor, who kind of seems to have expedited this committee, got together, whatever, the way he got the position he got i don't understand like how you could even remotely believe that this committee is in place to actually do the job they're saying to do what if glenn boyce is looking at this as an opportunity to hire himself really do something the right way Uh, (laughs) um, i mean i'm serious what if he's saying okay we need a good consensus building decision here and i'm going to empower smart people to go do a job What in his track record would tell you that would be the case? He has no track record. I'm not talking about hiring athletic directors. Just last nine months, per se. 
Okay, th- this is going to sound like me defending Glenn Boyce, and that's not what I'm trying to do. That's but, just a but, way... But, but to use his words... Out there, what is? No, no, I'm just saying, just to use his words... What, he didn't hire himself? He didn't hire himself. Okay. We might have reached an impasse here. <laughs> no, I understand. But but I'm, I'm saying, what if now that he is in the position of chancellor, he's the leader of the university, he goes, we got to hire an AD. I'm not qualified to hire an AD on my own. Let me go put a smart committee together of people that are really, really well respected in the Ole Miss community and let them bring me the suggestion of who to hire. I'd start. And I'm really going to trust Archie Manning as my advisor on this. I'd start looking at the sky and see if it turns purple. Well, again, I started this by saying, I got, yeah. look at this whole process however you want to. And I understand the majority, eh, maybe not majority, but a lot of Ole Miss people, maybe majority are going to be incredibly jaded when they go, go, all right, here we go, another committee. How's this going to turn out? I understand that. Okay, then point me, and I, this is a very general question I'm honestly asking, point me to a committee that Ole Miss has formed that has worked. And Well, the committee that hired Hugh Freeze and the committee that hired Ross Bjork. Give you Bjork. Did Freeze really work? Well, so we were debating this earlier. Hey, we'll throw it out to the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. And here's why I hate asking this question and kind of going through this just for a second. is because it sounds like I'm defending Hugh Freeze, and I'm one of the four or five people that would be last on the earth would, that would fall into that category. But you're a noted Hugh Freeze, Stan. No. You no. love his offense at you're, Liberty. You're one of the four or five people that wouldn't do that on this show. I'm not at all defending Hugh Freeze. But Hugh Freeze came in and was functional in the first year and they got to a bowl game. And then they got to a better bowl game in the second year. And then they went to -to back-to-back access bowls. So did Houston not. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. They didn't have access bowls back then. But He didn't go to four straight bowl games. He went to -to back-to-back cotton bowls and then ran the program into the dirt. So Hugh Freeze waited two years longer to run the program in the dirt. Yes, he did. And I don't know if he gets the program out of the ditch if he doesn't have his personal issues. Look at the 17 recruiting class. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. But there were clearly other things going on that his focus was on. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming on the Ceasefire text line. I'm sorry, streaming at supertalk.fm. The Ceasefire text line, red hot right now, 601-879-4395. Let me go backwards on these, or, or go to the beginning. David and Socher says Archie hires himself. Yeah, I don't think Archie has one iota of interest in being athletics director at Ole Miss. Bianco for AD. Ricky and Jackson says, Ole Miss, pick me, pick me. Here is a blah, 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 Richard. Look, I, I'm not defending anything. I'm just telling you, my opinion is this, and you are welcome completely. I'm not even trying to persuade you. My opinion is this. If the search committee that they have put together to go identify and hire a new athletics director is allowed to do its job, then I think Ole Miss is going to come away with a good AD out of this because that is a really strong search committee they put together. From the 731, I saw Ole Miss win the Sugar Bowl in person. Thank you, Hugh Freeze. 
I am one of the many fans who would welcome him back to Oxford tomorrow. The Sugar Bowl now is the exact same thing as the Cotton Bowl. And it was the exact same thing as the Cotton Bowl in 2008. They're both access bowls now. The Sugar Bowl is not the same thing as it was in 2008. So Houston Nutt went to back-to-back access bowls. It's the same thing. What's your point? It's a big why, deal. Why is the that? Sugar Bowl is a really big deal well, to the, Ole Miss you, people you when they had been there. You didn't read the end of the there. guy's text to compare him to Nutt. So if it's the same thing, what's my point? Nutt went to two. I, I've read the entire text. To compare him with Houston Nutt. Where does it say? Oh, uh, no, we've got with... we've got two of these similar texts. We're looking at different ones. Anyway, I'm not one of the people that would welcome back Hugh Freeze to Oxford. Hugh Freeze is not coming back to Oxford. He torpedoed the program. He absolutely torpedoed the program, but and the it sugar... all started with his with his tweet. But the sugar, but the point, my point in that being is the Sugar Bowl. They people always point to that as if he got to some higher ground. Okay, he ever. beat Alabama twice. And then lost Alabama to in those two seasons won a national championship and went to another and I mean, he didn't capitalize on them. That that was the inherent flaw in the entire thing was the year they I, won the Sugar Bowl he lost to Memphis. I, I'm not arguing with any of those things, but in terms of success for an Ole Miss football coach, nobody's had more than Hugh Freeze since John Vaught. Yeah, and then what happened? Yes, I know. I know. I, it's not Hugh directed Freeze at you. It's changed. It's directed Hugh at Freeze the Freeze changed. The, 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 uh, Hugh Freeze, when he left Ole Miss, was not the same person who was hired to be the coach at Ole Miss. I don't think. Or at least it was mag. It, it grew. I mean, that, that kind of personality trait doesn't necessarily go away, but it, it certainly grew and changed. I, the The entire point of this is, and I think I agree with this text, you, you don't want him back, but on the surface at the time, it was a good hire that did work. That's the point. Is It crashed and burned in dramatic fashion, embarrassing fashion, and they're still picking up the pieces from that in some ways. But... How could that committee have known that this guy was going to get fired for dialing escort services on his university phone? You know, that's not something that they could have predicted. So the committee that was put in place made a successful hire on paper at the time the process worked back then, is the point. You get a message like this, if he'll bring back Colonel Rem as the mascot, nobody will care who he hires to be the AD. (laughs) Yeah, because there will be nobody left. Oh, <laughs> will they put him in a diaper? That's the question I have. Watch out. Rippy's voice is getting high. No, he said, watch out, Rippy. RC's voice getting high. Something about your voice, Chief. Oh, I thought that was just like a fat finger text. No. Uh, you RC. Yeah, that is your initials, I think. Yeah. Uh, given the who's who of Ole Miss athletic alumni listed for the athletic director search, I find it hard to believe they would be willing to participate in a puppet committee. That's a fair not, statement. Yeah. I, I, yes. I mean, there I've talked to some people today involved with this process who have said to me, and uh, again, just take this at face value. I'm not asking you to believe me or change your opinion. I'm just telling you at face value that have said this is not a puppet search. It's not a sham. That's not what the task is here. I remember, you know, after the the Chancellor thing, there were some people on social media who were part of that thing, and they they let loose. 
I can only imagine what somebody like Wesley Walls would have to say if he felt like he was part of some sort of uh, of sham. Yeah. Uh, if not Archie for athletic director, what about Peyton? Oh, for God. Uh, who's this fake David in Socher? Hashtag the real David in Socher. Uh, we have dueling Davids and Sochers. It's a pretty Apparently. common name. It's possible there's two of you. Rippy is not old enough to talk about the Sugar Bowl. Don't want freeze back. If we're judging coaching ability solely on the ability to beat Saban, let's get Kroom back today. <laughs> also, didn't, do I, it I'm the not, right way. Also, I, Nut beat the team that won the national title in 08, right? Yeah, they made uh, bumper stickers. Remember? I do remember. Yep. Andy says, and all those wins got vacated. Yep, that's like Memphis didn't play in the national championship game because they took the banner down. Um, fire Jomo, and I will take Freeze. Zero percent chance. Have at him. Freeze being the coach at Mississippi State. Less than. How would that be received? <laughs> Interestingly, we'll leave it at that. Glowingly, you know they would love it. They would love it because they would think that he would come know. in and win games and he would recruit. Some people would have to burn some books and delete some tweets. I but I can't stress enough how wrong you are. <laughs> Just let's leave it at that. Wait. You don't think it let so if you freeze and Liberty have a, an eight win season, they turn around next year and, and do it again. He's shown you that he can coach He's football not, games. Mississippi State fans would not want him. There'd be too much hypocrisy involved. Well, that's college football fandom in a nutshell. I mean, I guess, but it was hypo- that, hypo- it was there was hypocrisy and like the hatred at the time. Well, I'm just saying now it, there's no way. <laughs> it's just no way. It's not going to happen. It just would not happen. Philip in Ellisville says, Freeze is the best coach. He then paid the price for beating Bama two years in a row. <laughs> he paid a price, all right. Um, Eli needs sums, a job. This guy sums it up pretty well. Ray and Florence, I like the names of the committee, but would not take the chancellor's word that it's a legit committee. I would think that would be how most rational people would feel at this point. Ed in Pontotoc says, who does Rippy like? No one? Um, he likes me. I'm his friend. I like Hey Dad. Okay, jury's still out on the other two. Yeah. It's because we've stayed those those trips together. We we bonded. Yeah, that's what it was. Here's one that says Ben Craddock was on the Chancellor Search Committee. Craddock Court at the Pavilion. They didn't mind wasting his time. A little bit different though, because the Chancellor thing wasn't. He was one of 39. Yeah. And that was the. And IHL. it was also run by the IHL. This is like the fourth text we've gotten about freeze to MSU. Stan and Ripley says, bull crap. I wouldn't want Freeze. Yeah, until they hire him, and then he comes in and wins games and takes you to a bowl game and then signs a top 15 class, and suddenly he's the best. That that tide would turn so fast. If that did happen, maybe people would pretend to be mad at first, but deep down they would know that, hey, we're about to go sign hey, some kids and win some games. All will be as, well. As an aside, do you know what Hugh Freeze's quarterback's name is right now? Um... Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? <laughs> is that not it? Um, His name is Buckshot. Uh, we talked about this before. Buckshot Calvert. Um, 
Sure. But, like, so I think people's opinion of Freeze would be much different if he had gotten to stick out the 2017 and 2018 season. Because they'd have gone 4 and 8 and been worse in 18, and they would have gotten tired of the shtick, I guess. <sighs> so. You think. You think Uncle Ed in Baton Rouge misses us enough to come back to Oxford? I just want the Sports Illustrated with him. I'm coming home. So on the actual AD front, it sounds like they have a pretty accelerated timeline. Well, okay, that that's actually... I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Borky, because when he was hired, Glenn Boyce said that he would like to have a decision made on athletics director by Thanksgiving. It was a loose time frame. Um, I don't know how you put together a committee that has a chairperson, an advisory person, and six members. Expect that you employ a search firm, which they're using venture partners, and I believe Chad Chatlos is the point person on that search. He's done some work with Ole Miss in the past. Uh, I don't know how four weeks from tomorrow, if Thanksgiving is your deadline, you have an AD in place. I, or maybe it's five weeks from tomorrow. I don't see any way that that timeline works. I don't really either, unless it's not a legit committee. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Wednesday. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Got a bunch of stuff that is uh, going on right now. On Friday, the JT Show will be on the road in Ellisville, celebrating one of the fastest-growing towns in the state. Find out what this town is doing to grow so quickly. Brought to you by Wally Forestry, Indom Trailers, Community Bank, and the Jones County Board of Supervisors and the Economic Development Authority. Uh, also, don't forget that uh, we're now just six days away from Election Day, and Super Talk Mississippi's 2019 election special coverage is coming your way Tuesday, November 5th, starting at 7 p.m. You'll hear results from News Mississippi, plus analysis and discussion from guests across the political spectrum. You can hear the election coverage on your local Super Talk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm. And you can watch it live at supertalktv.com. Election night coverage is presented by Ingalls Shipbuilding in Pascagoula. Ingalls Shipbuilding, the largest industrial employer in the state, and they are currently hiring. To learn more about career opportunities, visit them at buildyourcareer.com. Uh, should we continue to debate the merits of Hugh Freeze or move on? Probably move on, but I still want to talk about this AD thing a little bit, though. Okay. Before, you Where know, would you like to go? It just candidates. I mean, that's what people want, right? As well, if this committee's going to get together and put a pool of candidates, realistically, who could they be? Who you got? Oh, you're, oh, you you're asking. Oh, you're asking oh, me. I was asking yes, you guys, the yeah, experts. Who are, who are your candidates, um, Borky? The the one that gets mentioned the most, at least in in my circles, is Utah State Athletic Director um, John, John Hartwell. Hartwell. He's at Ole Miss for what a decade or more. Uh, worked in an administrative role, but now has made his name elsewhere. That's the one I hear the most. But then you have people that talk about maybe promoting the interim. I just I, I don't know if you can survive 
a fan base for the third consecutive major hire conducting a national search that ends down the hall. And that's not fair, but I don't think that's that you can actually put that on those people for a third time for your third major hire, if that makes sense. Keith Carter's done everything that has been asked of him, and he's done it well in a relatively short period of time. Um, he was in a spot that he was really comfortable in a, in a good job and was asked to take the reins, and as a result, will be a candidate. But I don't have any reason to believe that he is the candidate right now based on some conversations that I've had today about how this process is going to go. They legitimately, the the committee has been tasked with putting together a qualified pool of candidates. And I don't know exactly what the interview process is. My guess is that at some point in the next few days that Ole Miss will release some more details about what that process is going to be. If you if you're just joining us and you haven't heard about this already, Mike Glenn, who's a former executive at uh, FedEx and is now retired, is chairing the committee. Archie Manning is serving in an advisory role to both the committee and to the chancellor, and then the committee has six people on it: David Delucci, Peggy Gillum Granderson, Jesse Mitchell, David Morris, Ron Richlack, uh, Richlack, and uh, Wesley Walls. And individually, all those people come from kind of different backgrounds and have different experiences. And their job is to try and put it out there. Part of the release today said, while a specific timetable for the search has not been established, the search committee will move forward expeditiously with its work. The committee will recommend a candidate to Chancellor Boyce, who said a search firm will be retained to ensure a strong candidate pool and help the search committee move quickly. told you earlier, the search firm, uh, search firm, I think their headquarters is in Atlanta. It's uh, Ventura Park. Ventura Partners, and Chad Chatless is the guy that is kind of the point person on that, at least as I understand it. So what's their role? Because you have this committee of people that have ties to your university, direct ties to the athletic department at your university, uh, that are being tasked to find a candidate. Is the search firm more for vetting purposes, or are they also going to bring their own pool of candidates, and you're going to have these dueling committees, if you will. I don't think it's dueling committees. I think it's working in conjunction. So the the search firm will have names that they gather information on. In, in some cases, they've probably already got profiles put together, and they'll just hand that information over. They will do the vetting. They'll do the background checks. They will, you know, kind of, in, in some ways, the role of a search firm is CYA. Right, cover your rear end, mm-hmm. and try to make sure that there aren't issues that people don't know about, or that maybe are buried just below the surface, uh, that pop up a month after you hire somebody. Um, so that that's part of the role there, but the other role there is communicating with people who have jobs that they don't need those current employers to know that they're talking to somebody else about another job. Not just part of it. Is it just me, or does that just seem like a lot of people with their hands on this thing? 
I mean, in comparison to the Chancellor search, it's oh, yeah. a small group. <laughs> Minuscule, but is this how it goes everywhere? Hiring a new athletic director. It seems to be most cases. I mean, occasionally you'll have a president that says, I'm going to handle it. Or if you're hiring a coach, you'll have an athletics director that says, I'm handling it. I mean, Greg Byrne at Alabama, when dealing with the basketball hire, he came out pretty strongly in the uh, in the early going. He said, guys, here's the process. The committee is me. If you hear a name leaked, that person is no longer a candidate. I'll let you know when we've got a coach. Basically what he said. And so in doing that, he lets you know on the front end that if, if you're hearing leaks, I'm the only person involved here, so they're not true. And if the other side, being a candidate or an agent, leaks their own name to try and gin up support, then they've just disqualified themselves from the search. That's how Greg Byrne approached it when he was hiring, uh, what, Nate Oates to be the basketball coach. But yeah, I'd say in most of these situations, I, I don't know what the percentage is, a search firm is used, and there are a handful of them that do this. Um, I've heard Danny White's name floated around. Sitting athletics director at UCF. National champion athletic director at UCF. I wonder if that will hinder him in his ability to get a Power 5 job in the coming years. In what way? Will people look at that as, what an unbelievable job of standing up for your school and marketing the heck out of it, or will people look at that and go, this guy's a little bit of a clown, that's a sideshow? Ole Miss had an AD tweeting people wrestling belts, and he did an okay job. <laughs> like, well, I don't think, no, I, I think you get what you mean, though, because he was like kind of the... Annoying... He already had the job, he wasn't trying to get another job. Now, Ross obviously got another job, and that didn't hinder him. Yeah, no, I... Would it be more of maybe? Maybe probably be a cup. You're either your cup of tea or not your cup of tea type of thing. But isn't that the case with most people in general? I think Danny White deserves credit for the time that he was at Ole Miss for getting the conversation started for a new arena and rolling out, regardless of how poorly conceived it was at the time, a quote unquote plan to do it. Now, the plan that they rolled out initially for a new basketball arena was never feasible. But he legitimately got the conversation started, and then when Ross and that administration came in, they took that and put together a plan that would work and got the arena built. What was that plan? What? The unfeasible one. It was... It was like a drawing of a building. There wasn't a lot of thought as to actual pulling off the drawing. It was, let's just draw a picture of something and say, this is how we're going to raise money and this is how we're going to pay for it, and the economics of paying for it were not well thought out. That's what I did with my 10-year plan. When did you have to do a 10-year plan? Senior year of college. <laughs> what did you put in it? I drew a picture. Of? Me driving a car that was super nice with a bunch of money. I didn't take that class very seriously. Clearly, no. What'd you get on your project? What was the grade? Pretty good. Good enough. It wasn't a great thing. It was like an exercise. Okay. Um, I mean, as far the... as other names, Borky, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you can just pull names out of a hat if you want to, and just kind of throw them around. Probably so. But well, I don't know that at this point you've got a bunch of names. I mean, Charlie Hussey is a name. 
that would make sense to be part of this process? I don't know if it's a name that would have any interest in the job or not. John Hartwell's a name. Well, that's the first one that we mentioned. I know you have a short memory span, time span, you know, whatever. Was that a time burn? Span. Is he sick? What? You said he's got a short time span. Is he sick? No, I didn't say he was going to die. I meant memory. Whatever. Well, this got dark. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. What has happened on this day in sports history? We'll tell you next. This moment in sports history is brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis, and more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the same day. Contact Acoustic Wave today at AcousticWaveMS.com or you can give them a call at 855-563-6100. That's Acoustic Wave of Mississippi in Ridgeland. Website's AcousticWaveMS.com or 855-563-6100. On this day in 1974, a historic boxing event in Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, October 30th, 1974, held at the 20th of May Stadium, pitted the undefeated world heavyweight champion George Foreman against challenger Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight champion, the Rumble in the Jungle. Attendance... 60,000. Ali won by knockout, putting Foreman down just before the end of the eighth round. It has been called arguably the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. A major upset victory with Ali coming in as a 4-1 to underdog against the unbeaten, heavy-hitting George Foreman. Fight is famous for Ali's introduction of the rope-a-dope tactic. An estimated television audience of one billion viewers worldwide, slightly more than last night's Game 6 of the World Series, <laughs> becoming the world's most-watched live television broadcast at the time, included a record estimated 50 million watching the fight via pay-per-view, on closed-circuit theater television. The fight grossed an estimated $100 million in 1974, adjusted for inflation. That is $510 million in world revenue. Any of you boxing guys? I, I enjoy watching it. I have no idea anything about like the art of boxing or the rules or like I'm not scored fights from home, but I find it fascinating to watch. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I used to be really big big into boxing, but I haven't been in a long time. It's just mainly because like to me the boxing boxing is sort of driven by the heavyweight division, and there since Lennox Lewis retired, there hasn't really been a, an interesting heavyweight in my opinion. You remember the buzz for um, Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis? In Memphis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. I mean, that was an insane event. 
Yeah. If I remember correctly, they did all the weigh-in stuff in Tunica. Tunica was still rocking and rolling at that point. And the fight was at the Pyramid. Mm-hmm. This was pre-FedEx Forum. And it was... who? it was an event. The, um... The, the... Like, the marketing for it was Tyson Lewis is on, or Lewis Tyson is on, and they had the, yeah. like, the IS and the ON in their names right, right, right. highlighted. Yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. That was huge, yeah. And, you know, if you go back to Madison Square Garden events, I mean, Madison Square Garden doesn't necessarily have the reputation as being the world's greatest stage because of the Knicks. <laughs> they played a role in it. But it's just the sporting events across the decades that have happened that have been such a big deal there that have earned that building, that reputation. You ever been to Madison Square Garden for anything? I have not, no. Never been to New York. Um, I went to a, uh, to a Knicks game there back in 2007, I think. Knicks were good and terrible, but LeBron was there with the Cavs, so we got to see him play in the Garden. It's kind of cool. I'd love to have the list of like big time boxing events that have happened at MSG through the uh, through the years. Let's see. Uh, boxing. Rocky Marciano, Joe Lewis, nineteen twenty, uh, nineteen fifty one. Two of the three Ali Frazier fights, the fight of the century in 1971. 1974, you had Ali Frazier two. 1986, Hector Camacho and Edwin Rosario. 96, Riddick Bowe, Andrew Galata. Haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> Remember how that fight ended? Uh, Galata got penalized for low blows, right? Uh, they, they were not any, they weren't close either. They were real. Low blows. Here you go. Finally disqualified in the seventh round after a volley of punches to Bo's nether region. Swimsuit area. There we go. Seconds after Galata was disqualified, Bo's entourage rushed the ring, attacked Galata with a two-way radio, and assaulted assaulted Galata's 74-year-old trainer, Lou Duva. The entourage began rioting, fighting with spectators, staff, and policemen alike, resulting in a number of injuries. Before they were forced out of the arena in what involved, uh, evolved into a lengthy televised ring spectacle. Boxing in its glory days. Mm. That is this day in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave and Ridgeland. AcousticWaveMS.com, 855-563-6100. Love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. The show is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris from HoustonTexans.com, sideline reporter for the Houston Texans, and does a whole lot more. You can follow him on Twitter at JHarrisFootball. Johnny, what's up? Not much, Richard. Just uh, getting ready to go to London for the first time in my life. We're leaving tomorrow 
taking off for London to play the Jacksonville Jaguars at Wembley Stadium on Sunday. So really interested how this goes. It's going to be a, a quick over-the-pond trip and back, and hopefully at the end of it we'll be 6-3. and three. Is that before or after going to uh, Game 7 of the World Series? Oh, man. I wish I were going tonight. I went last night, and I took my daughter, and it's the first time I've been to a World Series game, her first World Series game, and it was such an electric atmosphere, and then Steven Strasburg just shut it down. I mean, he was so good. And then, you know, it's one thing when you get beat by a team, but when you get beat by somebody from Houston like Anthony Rendon, Mm. who played at Lamar High School in Houston and then played at Rice, both Houston institutions, and then he uh, goes to the Nationals. He's an incredible player. I mean, he's an incredible player and a great guy. I-, I was happy for him that he's had the season and the career he's had. I just didn't want him to have it last night. So, you know what? You got game seven tonight, one more chance, and see what happens. It'll be a huge disappointment for the fans here if the Astros don't get it done. I mean, this, this city was, I-, I don't want to say sort of cocky, but they were sort of cocky all year about, yeah, the Astros will get this done. It'll be the Astros and the Dodgers again. We'll get them in the World Series again, uh, and away you go. But they didn't plan on having to face Scherzer and Strasburg and Annabelle Sanchez as they have. Uh, and Strasburg really shut them down twice, and now Max Scherzer gets another shot at him. Scherzer against uh, Zach Greinke in Game 7 tonight. That one should be a, uh, a fun one. John, your football team, I can't quite decide what to make of them. Like I'll watch, uh, I'll watch the Texans and be like, "Man, that's a good football team." And then I'll watch them and be like, "What's wrong? You got to figure, you figured them out." No, heck, no. I mean, we're kind of the same way. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure it's kind of the same. You know, for you and Ole Miss, you probably have seen every Ole Miss practice, uh, training camp, and games, and you've been down there, and you know the guys, and you know the talents on the team, and you know kind of where it is. And you're like, okay, Steve should be better than that. I, I look at our team and I'm like, man, we got best left tackle in the business. We've got this young growing quarterback who's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. We've got the best receiver in the business. Now we did just lose JJ Watt, so that's a little tricky. But it sometimes we're very difficult to figure out. I know this. I know that we can beat anybody in the league, but we can beat ourselves on any given day. And that's a that's a bad place to be. Now there are a lot of reasons for it. And some of them border on excuses, but we're, you know, offensively, we've got veterans, but we're not a group that's played a lot together. You know, we, we haven't played a bunch of games. I mean, heck, Laramie Tunsil got there the first week of the year. I mean, he's yeah. still learning where everything in Houston is. So hmm. you, you kind of go through that. I think that's one thing that all teams go through, whether it's uh, high school, college, NFL. You know, when you haven't been together for a while, it's, it's tough because the communication's got to be on point, especially in the NFL with all the different things you got to change to and Deshaun's checking to. I mean, Deshaun's three years into this offense, so he knows it now like the back of his hand, and he's got to realize, hey, wait a second, if I call this audible, this is my right tackle who's only been here, you know, as a rookie, can I make this call? And then when that rookie gets hurt, he's not got a guy in there that hasn't played football since week 17 of last year. It's like, does he know this audible? Hey, wait a second, I got to run online and make sure he knows if I checked it. So, you got all that going on, and, you know, the last game against the Raiders, we had at one point in the second half, but for most of the second half, really, we were down nine starters. So we're finding ways to win with what Deshaun is doing, 
And I feel like if we could be healthy, and obviously we won't have Watt, so that's gonna that's always gonna kind of hang out there. We're not fully healthy, but we should get some guys back. And once we get those guys back, if they can stay healthy for significant periods of time, then maybe we'll see what we can be. Maybe we can level out. Now, like I said, we can beat anybody. I mean, we proved that. We went to New Orleans and had them on the ropes yeah. and couldn't deliver the knockout blow because Will Lutz did and, and beat us. And that's one of the top teams in the league right now. We're going to get a shot at the Patriots on a Sunday night in NRG Stadium, which I know everybody will be looking forward to, especially since the baseball season will be over and the Rockets really haven't clicked in yet. It's not February when people start paying attention to them. So everybody will want to be at that game, and it'll be fun to see where we are as a measuring stick. But this is a game against Jacksonville, a very good team, that we could go to London, and we might have a number of guys out of this, and because of that, we might get exploited. I'll put it this way. Last week in the uh, third quarter, actually throughout the whole game, really, we had three corners in the game that when we went to our nickel, we had three corners in the game, and the most tenured one of those corners got here the Monday before the Saints game to start the year. So we, you know, we're kind of dealing with a lot of different things, and if we could just get everybody back healthy, I think you could really see what we could do. And I think what we really could do is like what we did at Kansas City, where we we beat them by seven and beat them up physically, and probably should have put fifty on the board. That's what we can do. It doesn't matter. We've got to get to that level every single week. But with all the all the inexperience together, without that lack of cohesion yet, we're going to kind of stumble through some things. But once we find it, we're going to be a tough out no matter who we play. John, you mentioned the, the trip to, New, uh, to uh, London. John Harris on your radio from the Houston Texans. Is this still a novelty? Is it just a hassle that teams would rather not have to deal with? Or is everybody just kind of, okay, this is part of where we are in the NFL. We may end up with a franchise over here one day. Just deal with it. I think it's it's that it's it's a combination. It's yes, it's a hassle, but I think the realization is okay. This is the way life is going to be. It's sort of like the, the the pass interference review. I think coaches are like it's there. We know it's there, but you know it's kind of a hassle because it's not going to get overturned. So why should I even why should I even do this? Why should I even fight it? And that's kind of the way this is. It's like hey, the game is going global. So why even try and fight this? Do the best you can. Go over there. It's a business trip. Have your team prepared. Do all the research that it takes uh, to have to deal with jet lag and all that. And go play a game in London. There's going to be a team in London. They've had enough success with teams going over there and games being over there uh, that that there's going to be a team there. I mean, they, you know, the Tottenham Spurs, you know, Premier League team, they built a stadium that can flip over to an NFL stadium. That is, it's for the Spurs, but the thought is where an NFL team could be. Look at this state-of-the-art stadium. Now, we're playing over in Wembley, so it's a little bit older, yeah. but it's kind of the same thing. The, the realization, I think, for the NFL teams is that we're going to have to go over there, and we're going to have to deal with it. Now, will they put a team over there? I still think we're probably four to five years away from really seriously considering it. But if an NFL team went over to London, they said, hey, you know, John, what would you think about going over there? I'd, yeah, heck yeah. Why not? Why not go over there? Because I think the experience of playing in Europe is a, such a unique one, and I'm really looking forward to how this goes. I mean, maybe it stinks. Maybe it's just terrible. But you know, people have told us, hey, look, it's tough. 
you know, you just kind of have to grin and bear it on certain things because it's such a short trip, but it's such a unique opportunity. I think teams that do it for the first time really look forward to doing it. The Jags do it every year, so they kind of have a rote way of doing it. But I think there will be a team over there in due time, and I think it's going to be pretty pretty unique to the NFL to have a team over in London. So I'm curious to see how it goes for us this weekend. Farm Bureau phone line, John Harris on your radio from the Houston Texans. You mentioned Laramie Tunsil earlier. You said best left tackle in football. How has this season gone for Laramie? we got about a minute and a half left. Well, the only problem really that, that Texas fans will tell you is, is false starts. He's had he had a number of them with Miami. Uh, he's had a few with us. And, he, and it's just one of those things that I think it comes with comfortability, just getting comfortable with playing that side and playing with Deshaun and playing with this offense. But you watch how easy things are when Laramie Tunsil's at left tackle. You watch different kinds of rushers, speed rushers, ed, you know, speed guys, power guys, you know, speed to power guys, quicker guys, smaller, shorter, long arm. He's handled all of them. Any, all of them. And he's been everything as advertised. And he's been banged up. Unfortunately, he left the game and I hope he's going to be okay because we need him against Jacksonville to face Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe and Clayus Campbell. So hopefully he's going to be ready to play. And that's the other thing about him. He's a tough dude. He was banged up in the Jacksonville game early. He an ankle or foot, and he he toughed it out. Now the other day they were like, "Look, just just relax. Let's just go with what we got. Finish the game. We'll be okay. Hopefully he'll be able to get back uh, ready for Jacksonville. He is all that and then some. He's the best left tackle I've seen in a long time. I think he's the best in the league, and I'm biased. I love him to death. He's great in the locker room with the guys. He's quiet, but I think this team sort of likes likes that kind of how they are. But we can do so much up front differently than we've ever done because we have Laramie Tunsil, left tackle. That, to me, is a game changer for us. John, have a safe trip to London. Enjoy the experience. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Richard. Take care, man. John Harris from the Houston Texans. Jay Harris Football on Twitter if you want to follow him there. Joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. College Football Fix is next. Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon show brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. But you can also check out the Edge and the Explorer and the Expedition and the new Ranger, all of those on the website, buyfordnow.com. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. A little bit of a question for you here. Hey, Dad. Rippy? Yeah. Yep. Which is more likely this weekend? Ole Miss covers at Auburn or Mississippi State wins at Arkansas? State winning at Arkansas. I didn't read the question the way Borky wrote it, actually. I was about to say. Let me try that again. Which is more likely this weekend, Ole Miss covering at at Auburn or Arkansas beating Mississippi State? Okay. Um, I think it's probably Arkansas beating State. Hmm. Because I don't see how Ole Miss could... Like, I think their defense will keep them in it for a little bit, but I don't see how they consistently move the ball against Auburn's defensive front. 
to score points to even make it like a remotely close cover. Like, doesn't this have 27-6 written all over it? Which would be a two-point cover. Yeah. It's up to 19. 30, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, you're probably correct. Because, and I mean, State, like said, I, I, just, I can't see Ole Miss score more than 10. And the way State's playing right now, going on the road, even though it's a bad team, like... I wouldn't have said there's no confidence. Yeah. No confidence uh, from anyone? I think if you you if you, if you want to do like a poll question, not ask who you think is Chad Morris win. seems confident. Well, other than him, uh, if you did a poll question of just are, are you or do you feel confident State's going to win? I think you would get a a it would be close. It would be really close, be close to fifty fifty. Are you confident State's going to win? No. Anything beyond just what you've seen on the field? What else do I need? What else do I need to form an opinion? No, they can't no, I, do anything I, on the road. No, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to pull you into some, get you in trouble for saying something that you're not supposed to say. But yeah. is there a, is there a perception or a feeling that the team has mailed it in? That they're frustrated internally? That they think Joe Moorhead's in over his head? I don't. I don't even know if I'm asking the questions the right way. I, I don't think there's anything from the team as far as their attitude so far that would make me think that they're they're on the verge of tapping out or anything like that. But I just don't, you know, I just don't have a ton of faith that Mississippi State's going to go up there and get off to a quick start and and put Arkansas away early on. Is that what it will take to win as a fast I, I start? Think, I'm not. I'm not 100 sold that the team that scores first doesn't win. I think if State, if State can score and get some momentum going, they can win the football game. But if Arkansas gets out to a seven nothing lead, there's going to be a lot of oh here we go again. Really? I think. I think I could be wrong, but I, that's what I think. All well, right. So if you win the toss and you're Mississippi State, you take the ball. Well, I would always take the ball. Winners want the ball. I'm a big believer in taking the ball, but. I don't. I don't know. What state would probably defer because that's just what people do these days. But but then we go to Mississippi State's first drives of games, not producing a lot. Here's Talked some about stats that earlier in the, the week. Here's some stats from the famous message board sixpackspeak.com. Seven road games under Joe Moorhead. These are the opening drives. Twenty-four plays for twenty-six yards, five three and outs, a turnover, four pre-snap penalties, and no points. Now that. God. That's over the course of two seasons. Yes, and that includes last year at the Egg Bowl, which is one. Of, I think State was that was the only drive of the year in a road game where State got a first down on the opening drive. Uh, Question: So you are take the ball guy? Wouldn't it be like if you're talking about getting off to a better start? Wouldn't it be better for State's defense to get a three and out against whatever Arkansas has played I, I don't, quarterback? I don't know what the answer is there. To be honest with you. Whatever side of the ball State is on, they need to have something positive happen. So if they're on defense, yes, a three and out, a turnover, something. If they're they're on offense, they need to get points. They have to get going early. Read those numbers again. Certainly. I, I don't have the who posted this. I'm sorry, I can't give them credit. Uh, 24 p- plays for 26 yards. This five, is in seven road games over the course of two years. Correct. Seven SEC road games. Uh, 24-point plays for 26 yards, five three-and-outs, a turnover, four pre-snap penalties, no points. 
I think he extended it out here. Hold on. Let me find. He go to the second possession. Five more three and outs. So in seven games, 14 combined possessions, 10 three and outs. 10 Ooh. points total. So State scored 10 points on their second drive of the game in these seven games. I know one of that field, there's a field goal in there against LSU. I, I don't know where the touchdown is off the top of my head. It might be in the Egg Bowl. I don't, I don't remember for sure. Yeah, after they kind of stumbled out of the gate, they got it going well, offensively. Didn't, didn't the Ole second possession year. start with uh, when Tamu fumbled the football on Ole Miss's side of the? I think that's right. So, dude, I was doing a basketball game in the Bahamas. That's right, was, you were in the Bahamas. Rippy, help me out here. Yeah, I could probably tell you what happened in Saints game that night. <laughs> um, I, I literally don't remember. I honestly couldn't tell you what happened in the opening possession, you know, a month ago. Um, but. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears. This story from Brett McMurphy at Stadium. He asked every Division One coach and conference commissioner what their favorite musical artist was of all time. Hmm. From the SEC. Commissioner Greg Sankey, you too. Nick Saban, the Eagles. I thought he was a Stones guy. Jo- I'm surprised Nick Saban listens to music. I wouldn't be shocked if he was like a classical music guy when he jumped in his Mercedes and headed off to the lake house. Like depressing Beethoven stuff? No, like Mozart. Well, Mozart was a painter, according to Andy Reid. Have you seen that clip? <laughs> Did y'all see that clip? Maybe he no. painted in his spare time. They, they, was, they had an ugly win in Detroit. And this is the most like, football guy I think of all time. He said, not every one of Mozart's paintings was a masterpiece, but when it got done, it was valuable. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas. George Strait. Yeah. Gus Malzahn goes with the cars. Dan Mullen. You too. Oh, yeah, streets have no name. (laughs) (laughs) Kirby Smart, Luke Bryan. Oh, come on. That's very (laughs) on-brand. It is, it is. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Toby Keith. We'll put a boot up. Sorry. Ed Ogeron, props here. Well, CCR. Yeah. Uh, Ed would like. I was thinking maybe like screamo stuff. <laughs> German. Joe Moorhead. Favorite musical act of all time, Biggie. He goes with the notorious Big I, uh, Big. Isn't that kind of big hip hop guy? He's huge into hip hop. Yeah. Remember when we interviewed him at, at Media Days? He had gone to see the Rolling Stones, and he was like, "Not really my kind of show, but it was good." Barry Odom, also a George Strait guy. Matt Luke goes with Jason Aldean. Concert coming to Tupelo in March. Gave some tickets away for that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Will Muschamp, only respondent of all 130 that were polled, going with Darius Rucker. Boo. I mean, if he had said Hootie, I'd at least respect that. Come on. What? Jason Aldean's tough. 
Like I'm Dar- not like Darius Rucker's country stuff is not his favorite music. He just picked him because he's a big Gamecock fan. But say Hootie and the Blowfish, I will respect that. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee going with Kenny Chesney. Sure. Peyton Manning make him do that. <laughs> Well, he does That's those commercials Brad with uh, Brad No, Paisley. I understand that, but Peyton Manning and Kenny Chesney big buddies also. Ah. Kenny Chesney has big buddies with lots of guys. That's that's not a, yeah. Is he the Drake of country music? Yes. There's a website that tracks all of the teams that he is allegedly a fan of, like spotted in public wearing a jersey and stuff. It's up into the 40s. Jimbo Fisher, third SEC coach to name George Strait as his favorite. Derek Mason, mad props here, because Marvin Gaye. Love it. The ACC list was pretty darn good. Look at that when we come back. Plus, get to some other college football stuff. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Rippy is left in the rain to go for post-practice interviews, so now seems like a good time to read this text on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Is, is Rippy? No, talk about him. Like perpetually in concussion protocol. <laughs> Head injuries are not a jokey matter. Let's have you know. Um. Yeah. All right. So the ACC coaches. This is a pretty good list. Steve Adazio went with James Taylor. Hard to knock that. Dabo goes with Garth Brooks. Cutcliffe with John Mellencamp. What about they dropped the Cougar? John Cougar Mellencamp. Willie Taggart. Did he drop it? Oh, did he? I think so. Okay. Willie Taggart goes with Tupac. Jeff Collins' stick figure. Not familiar. Should I be? I have never heard of him. No. Scott Satterfield at Louisville with uh, Eric Church. Rippy would not have approved of that. Uh, Manny Diaz, you uh, too. Maybe that's why Mullen hired him back a second time. Kind of similar things. Mac Brown, North Carolina, also with Eric Church. Dave Doran, hat tip, my friend. Merle Haggard. I turned 21 months. in prison doing life without parole. Uh, Pat Narduzzi at Pitt going with ACDC. Favorite musical act of all time? ACDC. What's wrong with ACDC? Nothing. I just... That would be your favorite. Dino Babers at Syracuse with James Brown. Ow! Bronco Mendenhall. Forky will get on board with this. Jack Johnson. That's a good choice. Uh, Justin Fuente with a little DMB. Dave Matthews for Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. If he was sticking on brand, he would have gone with Metallica, but independent thinker there. And uh, Dave Paulson at Wake Forest. Did say what? Go with? Who did Fuente Dave go Matthews. With? Aren't they from Charlottesville? I don't know. He picked his rival school's band. Dave Clawson with Talking Heads. That is strong. Uh, Kalani Sataki, this was the independent coaches. Kalani Sataki went with um, Bob Marley. Jeff Munkin, the head coach at Army, goes the buddy guy route. Hugh Freeze at Liberty with uh, Chris Tomlin, very on brand. People keep saying that. Who is Chris Tomlin? 
Look him up. If only there was a device for that. Doug Martin at New Mexico State goes with Allison Krauss. Brian Kelly is a fan of the boss. Okay. I I get it now. Walt Bell at UMass with uh, Tool. Ooh. Me and Walt could be friends. Um, I saw only one reference to Jimmy Buffett in the entire list. That's where I would have gone. Feel free to judge me if you like. I'm good with it. It was, uh, oh, goodness, who was it? Small school coach somewhere. I put together an MSU media list. Just, just off the inspiration. And, and McMurphy actually commented on it, too. So. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Jimmy Buffett. That fits. Coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. Borky, who's, would you have gone Zeppelin? Borky? Yeah, I would have gone Zeppelin. Nice. Buffett and Myrtle Beach are a match made in heaven, by the way. Meh. Yeah. A little more Caribbean than Myrtle Beach, isn't he? A little bit, but... Or Caribbean, as he calls it. Eh, same difference. Jake Spavital at Texas State, Whiskey Myers. Is that just a Texas band of some sort? Like, the prototypical Texas music? Isn't it some big guy that's like a modern country guy, I think? Maybe so. There are a bunch of George Straits across all of the uh, lists. The most commonly well, I was dead named... wrong. It's a southern rock band. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kenny Chesney ended up as the top vote getter. He got eight votes. Eric Church a, got six. Dave Matthews got five. Um, four each for the Eagles and George Strait. What were you saying? Hey, Dad. See, Kenny Chesney, a fan of all eight of those schools, too. Charlie Strong at South Florida, by the way, went John Legend. couple of votes for Mumford and Sons, including Josh Heupel at UCF. And who's the other? Was it uh, Clay Helton at Pac-12? Uh, Clay, no, Clay Helton went with Ed Sheeran. Oh, oh. no wonder he's getting fired. No way. He's got to get rid of that guy. Come on. One thing Larry Scott is doing right in the Pac-12 Rolling Stones. Can't go wrong. Mel Tucker at Colorado went with Jay-Z. He was one of a couple of guys that went Jay-Z. Jason Candle at Toledo, also Jay-Z. See, Moorhead should have gone more obscure than than Biggie. He should have just, like, really gone off the grid. Jay Hobson at Southern Miss was a meatloaf fan. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) Bill Clark at UAB. Bon Jovi. Strong. Uh, that's also what Lane Kiffin went with, while Butch Davis, just uh, down the road from Lane Kiffin, went Fleetwood Mac. Nobody's in the grunge on, on these things. Like, where are the, the mid-40s guys like me? Where are they, you know, with some, some Soundgarden or some Alice in Chains or something? Um, Seth Luttrell at North Texas, very on brand, Jerry Jeff Walker. Doc Holliday, no fun to hang out with. He does not have a favorite musical act. What a loser. Okay. Give him one. That's just, that's just dumb. I'm I'm just focused on the next game. I'm not worried about bands right now. It's crap. Uh, Big Ten, Tom Allen at Indiana goes Mercy Me. Okay. I don't know what that Lovey is. Lovey Smith, nice call. George Clinton. Yes. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa goes Pat Green. Does he get a song besides Wave on Wave? 
Guess all you need is one. Oh, uh, just trying to see if there was anything else that stood out among these. BYU still cracks me up. I mean, the head coach of the Mormon College is a big Bob Marley fan. <laughs> Earth, wind, and fire for Jim McElwain at Central Michigan. couple of votes for Billy Joel scattered across the college football landscape. I don't know why, but out of all the responses, Clay Hilton having Ed Sheeran as his favorite musical act cracked me up. Does he have a teenage daughter? I have Maybe. teenage daughters. My, my, Ed Sheeran wasn't my choice. <laughs> he can get indoctrinated with it, I guess. Get Stockholmed into liking Ed Sheeran. I mean, I'll, my Spotify has a Taylor Swift playlist, but it's not for me. She's got some bangers, though. There are Taylor Swift songs that, like, if you're working out and they come on, you don't hit skip. I like Taylor Swift. Would absolutely go to a Taylor Swift concert. Would you? Hey, would you go to an Elton John concert? Without a Me? doubt. I would. My wife's seen him twice. He's doing his uh, farewell tour in Memphis tonight. i got a buddy that's going. She saw him in Tickets were last last year tickets were ridiculous yeah that was her christmas gift yeah so matt norlander at cbs who covers lots of stuff but college basketball has released his united states of basketball rankings so they rank each team in each state one through etc in the state of minnesota borky points out there's only one team so the minnesota golden gophers number one richard patino State of Mississippi. Matt Norlander ranks Ole Miss number one. In his Mississippi first, State. Uh, go ahead. Huh? I was going to say, in his first bracket that he put out like a week ago, he had neither State nor Ole Miss in the tournament. Huh. Just a uh, tough had, league. It is, but I think both of those teams will be good enough. State 2, Jackson State 3, Southern Miss 4, first-year head coach Jay Ladner, Alcorn State 5, Mississippi Valley State 6. Here's what he wrote about Ole Miss. We should probably get used to Kermit Davis having the best team in the state for the foreseeable future. Mississippi State is the only real competitor nine years out of ten, and the Rebels have a coach who's long since proven to succeed more with less than his counterpart, Ben Howland, in Starkville. I think Mississippi will fall back a bit in the SEC pack, but don't think this team is a walkover. No way. Brian Tyree, Devontae Shuler should keep Ole Miss watchable. Back in the pack in the SEC. From what? Where'd they finish last year? Seven? Ole Miss was eighth in the uh, SEC last year. How much farther that's back it. in the pack? Yeah. That's, that's, it's not going to happen. I don't think so either. Um, Auburn, just number one team in the state of Alabama, Arkansas, as you would expect. Uh, Gators, number one in the state of Florida. Florida State, number two. I would imagine that's a close two. Yeah. Georgia ranked as the top team in the state of Georgia, despite going, what, two and 16 last year in the league? They got Crutes, though. They do have Crutes. Some good Just for the record, uh, Pearl Jam is my favorite band since you didn't ask. Kentucky won in the state of Kentucky. That's shocking. <laughs> Look at the close. Louisville's there. 
Yeah, at times. Yeah. Missouri State listed as currently the best basketball team in the state of Missouri. Kwanzo on the hot seat. Jeez, Kwanzo, come on. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.